How has the internet changed us? Oh, man. How is the... Jesus, man. How has the internet changed us? Um, I got I mean, this is, this is like something I have to think on. I can't like just give a reactionary answer here. The internet has changed us in such profound ways. It's changed the way we organize. It's changed the way we meet up with our friends. It's changed the way that we like plan vacations. It's changed the way we like, you know, have conversations with people. Um, it's changed our attention spans, you know? Um, it's changed even the like the, you know, physical spaces around us as well. There's so many different ways it's changed us. It's, it's like such a huge imprint. Um, I think it, like his, as, as we look back on history, it's going to be like one of the biggest changes um, that we see, you know, like, like the invention of the wheel or whatever. Radio Free Brooklyn, and Race to the Bottom Industries. This is How the Internet Has Changed Us. Wow, all right. The before times, the olden days, pre-internet <laughs> dominance. You know, it's a little bit strange because living without the internet, we didn't think anything was different, right? So it just was what it was. <laughs> and so it's kind of odd thinking about it now in retrospect, where I'm like, wow, we used to do that? Really? <laughs> you know? So it's a little bit funny to, to think about that because especially now, I. I think of it sort of before the internet through the lens of having the internet. That's really the, the key part of that. I think that we are, well, what our generation will be known for more than anything else is that we will be the last generation who really knows what the world was like before the internet dominated our lives and completely changed the way we live and think about things. Um, hi everyone, I'm Wyatt. I am John's nephew. I'm a ninth grader and I'm talking about how social media has changed or impacted society. So when, when you hear like somebody like me or other family members or, or teachers or adults who talk about like life before the internet um what do you imagine that that must have been like or how that's different i mean i think it would be a lot more, like less stressful because like for me at least the internet's like can be really stressful and like makes you can, can make like make you self-conscious sometimes and i feel like when i hear my mom and you other people talk about how they grew up it seems more like fun more playful 
and just sounds more like energetic but yeah the internet it um <laughs> it, it gives and it takes away <laughs> but we're here now we can't un-internet nope you know the other part of your your question is the whole way i i saw myself back then and, and i had a self-identity and related to my friends you know I mean, so much of that right now is caught up in social media and projecting a certain type of image or identity via those platforms that make your, you know, makes yourself feel good and, and helps you connect with friends that, that we just didn't have at all. And, and in a lot of ways, especially in my teenage years, I'm glad we didn't have that. I mean, I already dealt with so many self-esteem issues and at that age you know the number one thing in your life is basically caring about you know your friends and what your social group thinks of you and it, it was complicated enough without this whole online identity part of it it's hard for me to really imagine what a teenager would have to go through and I can only think that it would amplify all of all of the stresses that I had at that age as I'm sure you had we all had at that age it just seems like it would make it worse right now I don't know it was kind of like yeah what did you do before television you know I guess you know you just you just did all of those things what did you do before a phone what did you do before he had a girlfriend? You know, <laughs> I, maybe that's a bad comparison. <laughs> yeah, I think you just like pointed something out to me that I totally like kind of relish the memory of it, which is when I would travel in Latin America, I would go to the market and like there would be all these like people selling, you know, pirated CDs and I would be like asking people like what the local hits are now and like be listening to the radio and try to f identify a song that I heard on a bus somewhere. You know, I would ask people sitting next to me like what song is this, you know, or whatever. And then I would go to the market and and like sift through CDs and ask these guys to play the disc to make sure that it's not like, you know, just something completely different. And I would come home with like just like a pile of CDs and like plastic cases, just sift through it to find like something that I wouldn't come across like just sitting at my desk at home now you know what I mean it's great that um, Spotify knows what I like but it will never suggest something that I have no idea about and that's yeah. a problem the guy at the music store will be like you know oh that's cool that you like that but have you ever heard Robert Johnson you know and like if you're listening to Miles Davis you're never gonna end up at Robert Johnson if I'm sitting on a bus and they're playing the same hits over and over again in Belize or whatever, and I'm like, oh, what is this jam? And everyone's rocking out to it because it's the jam of the yeah. time. With Spotify, I mean, it's really great that I have access to just so much stuff. But if I find like a jam that I'm like, oh, this is my jam. And I go out and I'm like, check out this jam. They're like, yeah, cool, Steven. We <laughs> check out my jam. You know, I used to trade cassette tapes 
with my friends. You know, we we would. Uh, <laughs> I heard of a lot of a lot of bands that I still love to this day, like Fish, by trading live recordings on cassette. I'd be remiss if I didn't um, shout out a couple of DJs that uh, were on my radio dial growing up in Woodstock, New York. So I was listening to the radio when I was getting ready for school and like in the car when my dad or mom would race me down the mountain to get to the bus and catch it in time. And we'd listen to the radio. Um, I just, that's all I did uh, mm-hmm. in terms of music. I mean, radio was a huge, huge, huge influence on me the nature of how I felt back then um, towards radio, it was really like, it, it was mine. Like I would, sometimes I would spend time on a Saturday night uh, listening to the request show and I would just call in at not like just like an annoying little brat, just like constantly bothering the DJ to play songs. And I would get a shout out every now and again for the request I would make. That felt so cool. You know, there was MTV. I would watch MTV whatever gatekeepers at MTV decided, you know, <laughs> I would like and purchase via the, the record labels, you know, they would show me and <laughs> a lot of it worked. Um, I mean, you think back to all the whole 90s grunge scene, you know, which changed my life and so many people's lives my age. You know, I know we both love Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, heard of them on MTV. I'm thinking about phone booths, you know, there seemed to be a time when we needed to um, use the phone, but we didn't want to use maybe a phone in our house. Maybe we were doing something unsavory <laughs> and we wanted to keep it secret. We wanted to keep it as private as possible. So you would go to a phone booth. Something that I think just existed uh, every day back then seems almost more like a rites of passage now, which is that, you know, you'd have to actually go find people uh, and you'd have to find the specific people that knew about these things. And then you'd have to, you know, work up the courage to talk to them and approach them. And a lot of times these people would even, you know, they would they know that they were nodes of information, like the guy that worked at the music store, you know, that could turn you on to new records or whatever. The guy that worked at the video store. Uh, the guy that worked at the bookstore. And like a lot of times these were the people who also had a bunch of different types of knowledge, you know. Um, The person that worked at the movie store didn't just know about movies, you know, he knew about stories. He knew about um, the ways in which life is like a movie, you know, all of that. Um, The guy that worked at the bookstore knew about all kinds of stuff. There There was a level of being in the know and you would meet people and they would be a little more in the know than you were. And then you'd want to find out what they knew. They knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew.
Hi, John. It's Dr. Lisa. As you know, John, I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist. You've been one of my patients, a terrific patient, I might say. My show's every Thursday, 2 to 3. You know, I've lived in New York basically since 1978, so that was, I have spent many, many years without any internet. The way that I used to find out about stuff is, you know, the Village Voice, the New York Press, uh, free papers, things like that. I followed things through the newspaper. I went to the library a lot. I was a library kid. I'm still a library kid. You know, like I, I love the library, but it's now the library still kind of feels like a relic of when I was young, right? Word of mouth was great. And then at a certain point, it would get to the village voice. First of all, I'm a village kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to go to the Halloween parties. I used to be in Washington Square with, with the Frisbees and in the fountain and playing chess and the, and the, um, at the Arc, the concerts at the Arc and Fifth Avenue and New York University. So first of all, I had to read the Village Voice, <laughs> you know, second of all, it, it, it was it wasn't like your other papers. It would the back page was like a, like a bazaar. On yeah. the back page of the Village Voice was your own personal bazaar. If you couldn't find the avant-garde stuff on the Village Voice, you couldn't find it. Yeah. Every week they would have a phenomenal article. They, it, 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 the one article I remember, they compared Wynton Marsalis to Miles Davis, Prince to Jimi Hendrix, and there was a third group of icons. I don't remember, but that's the way the Village Voice mm-hmm. was. And then by the time it was in the New York Times, it was over. (laughs) What we used to do was we would look up the stats in the USA Today. My friends and I created a fantasy football league when we were in eighth grade. So 1988, 1987. And we would get the Monday USA Today because not only did it have like the yards for the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, but it also had like the tackles and interceptions. We love that. And so, you know, I used to pour over box scores that were in the newspaper. I used to read the little blurb in the Buffalo News that had transactions. I loved that, transactions, you know? So I would read every single line of that. Yeah, you call you call the landline. You see if your friends are there. If they're not, you I guess you'll see them later. Yeah. <laughs> you find it. Remember, you would like call different people and find out what's going on. You'd be like, I'm gonna call that person. They don't pick up. You call another yeah. person. They don't pick up. And then you kind of get the beat about what's going down. It's like, oh, we're meeting. There apparently is some meeting people meeting up downtown later, or they're gonna meet so and you know at some place, and then you just go there. Yeah. That's where I became a stickler for time, because you had you you had your reputation was greater if you were 
on time. People could depend on you because they they had to. Mm-hmm. They call you, you set a time. If you weren't there, there was no recourse. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you didn't show up, there was no recourse. You call. There was a lot of a lot of high blood pressure back then. <laughs> <laughs> When you try to think about like a pivotal moment where you realized the extent to which life had completely changed and had shifted online in a way that just was there was no coming back from what things pop into your mind when you think about those like pivotal moments well that was when i uh realized that i could make money on the internet <laughs> I mean, it, seriously though, like I, I just had no idea. I was never like someone who's like, I'm going to work on a computer. I had been just kind of like teaching myself some things because of some work I was doing with a nonprofit. I was not getting paid to do it. But then someone approached me about a job to do. And I was like, oh man, you can make money doing this stuff. Things started to really shift for me because I was working as an art director in advertising. So doing things online, online media became popular. There was this whole new world that we were being asked to do, which is web banners and web ads and all that. And at first, no one wanted to do that. None of the creatives wanted to be involved in that because it was very tech savvy and also very limited. There wasn't much you could do. You couldn't do much animation or anything. So everybody avoided that. But at a certain point... You really had to be good at it. I think it is that through the looking glass moment. Um, So like I said, I went to college. Um, When we got there, it was kind of like, you have an email address. And I was like, what's an email address? And then suddenly, you know, I realized, oh, I can communicate with my friends who I was missing, you know, um, being away from home for the first time. I could communicate with them. I don't have to write them letters or anything. I can go down to the computer lab and send an email, electronic mail. And, you know, it was, you would go down to the computer lab, you'd have to dial in, you know, do the modem stuff and everything like that. I was relatively slow to truly embrace, you know, (laughs) online communications. I mean, we were probably the last college generation that could really get away without having a personal computer or a cell phone and and succeed in college. So, you know, for me, it probably wasn't till several years later when I was working in music publicity and marketing and started really using MySpace and then Facebook as ways of, of, you know, helping bands reach new people. And then when I started dealing with the online world professionally, 
and started seeing just how powerful it could be at reaching new people that I didn't even know uh, across the country and then having real world impacts, you know, such as helping fill venues for a band, you know, the band had never been there before and the only exposure they had was, was online via social platforms and that kind of thing. I think that's when I really started to think about the internet differently. So when you are nostalgic for pre-internet life, what are you, what are you specifically nostalgic for? If if you get nostalgic for it, I'm very hesitant to call myself uh, nostalgic and uh, longing for things of the past because it would be counterintuitive to assume that my desires can be satiated no different than what my parents probably were hoping for back Mm -hmm. in their day. And my parents certainly are not big nostalgists. Um, My parents' records um, burned in a fire, sadly, um, in a house fire when I was three. And so they lost all of their music and Mm -hmm. they did not look back. They never, they couldn't, they had, they had no choice. I'm not a very nostalgic person, you know? Um, If you think things were better 40 years ago it's for different reasons Mm -hmm. one of the this is again a pet peeve that i have is like when people get to be our age and say boy this next generation coming up pray for them right gotta be really worried and i was like your parents said that about you and their parents said that about them and i was like this is this whole thing that we need to break that idea um because there are always going to be bad kids there are always going to be good kids and you know we've got to figure out how we get better as a society and keep that evolution going but you can't perpetually say things were better back then and it's just usually not true I'm nostalgic for the days of where you would bump into people and things just sort of happen spontaneously and where you would find something and not everybody would know about it right away or, you know, this this feeling of discovery, even using maps. The other night I was wandering around the Lower East Side and, and I was thinking, what do we do without, you know, our phones? And we used to have maps and like... But that whole feeling, you know, we don't have that anymore. That's that's kind of, you know, that's gone. Mostly like letting your mind wander, you know, like for a long time. Like if you were to take a walk and, you know, you didn't have your Walkman on you, you're just thinking for like hours, you know. And I think that ability to just let your mind wander, that's that's the type of beautiful boredom that's really at the root of a lot of creativity, I think. You know, the combination of being able to get new and strange information and then let it simmer for a really long time 
in that thing that's you know partially boredom but partially just like allowing your subconscious to wander around and digest and make new and weird synthesis of all the different things that you put into your brain you know it's like now we have so much information and it, it does synthesize but i don't feel like it ever gets you know cooked enough like it doesn't fully bake it's more just like a thing that's layered as opposed to a thing that actually combines into a synthesis I, I like telling the stories of like, yeah, I had all of my friends' phone numbers memorized, you know, like, m I think my memory was better. But, you know, also, I was a kid. My memory is just worse <laughs> because I'm now 46 years old or whatever. So, you know, um, I, I don't think I miss a whole lot from that. I, I don't know. Now I kind of feel like, Am I just being like, um, am I being too like rose colored glasses with it? You know, um, I, I'd be interested to see how other people are, are responding to that question. I mean, that's one thing I could say about the art world that's huge. The internet has had a huge effect on the way people look at art, mm -hmm. people um, interact with art people buy art the whole thing has become has completely changed and there's so much talk about that in the art world if you look at any of the you know artnet or any of the websites people are always talking about that on a you know uh business level people are buying a lot more work online of course but it you can't really appreciate a piece of work online and some work translates better online than others if you're the kind of artist whose work doesn't you're kind of lost i mean i feel lonely sometimes i used to go into like a store just to sort of like feel like i could be around other people or mm -hmm. something you know maybe i was depressed i just wanted to have other humans in the room you can't even do that anymore So are, do you ever have concerns about um, anything regarding like your own uh, internet usage, like overusing it or having it affect your mood or anything? I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I get headaches. So I'm not a doctor or anything, but I think in the long run, like it really does affect. And then even with my kids, it's like, you know, after school before it's like homework, homework. But after, because my, I chose I chose for my kids to do remote learning where they have not been back in the school building since last year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like after school, I, you know, they need a break time from the screen. I think with like smartphones in particular, it's like a great tool. I mean, for me personally, like I, I really like being able to take great pictures with it and being able to communicate and navigate, you know, if I need to find something. But our like addiction to it is pretty wild, and it's it's disappointing for me to 
to see not only myself, but other people just glued to their devices whenever you're in some kind of a social situation for, you know, to, to undo that takes practice and dedication to behave differently. Like whether you're at the dinner table or out with friends and, you know, just to kind of like put that away and focus on being truly social memes you see of people like going out and they're all on their phones at some table. And there's like a, some text at the bottom that says best night ever. You know, I just think of that sort of thing. It's like, you know, I like seeing people with their heads up, not their heads down, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like ever since fifth grade, I've had a device of some kind and it definitely affects me and other people, especially the generation coming up. I feel like it's going to have a huge effect on them. How so? Well, like when you're on your phone, you don't really think about going outside and, you know, kids younger are getting their hands on devices and not maybe like interacting outside with their friends because they could just do it on social media and stuff. I do wonder this, if my creativity um, has changed, not disappeared, but changed because I, I'm not the only one who has this thought, but the idea of boredom has gone away too. And, you know, maybe that ties into what I said of like, oh, I had nothing else to do except listen to this album for five times in a row. Uh, You're never bored with the phone, right? I think it's not something that it should be like too much worry about, but it definitely should be watched because it's there and people like sometimes don't see that, but it definitely affects people. But in like the long run, I think it's going to have a huge impact on like kids like even like you can get scholarships to colleges yeah i mean there's so many things that come good and come bad from it so i guess we'll just have to wait and see it's hard to say so i think you and i are are in this unique position where we're one of the last generations that has a foot in both pre-internet times and post-internet times right yeah it's awkward right and we know we know what it was like right uh like kids kids now like the kids i teach they just have always or the ones that come on your show and show their periscopes and stuff they just don't (laughs) they don't know you know, or just technology just shifted like as we were adolescents, like in a way that it, it just there's no coming back from. It kind of connects to social media. It, it yeah. actually sorry, it, it absolutely connects to social media because I have become so disenchanted with social media. And mm-hmm. I know you this is something you and I uh, both agree on um, off uh, as we've talked about off air. I think um, I just every time something new comes around with social media. I could not I could yeah. not care less if I tried. You know, nobody uses Facebook anymore of a certain generation. Now no one's using Instagram a certain generation anymore, except they are. But now they're using TikTok more and they're, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's still using Twitter. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Well, now there's four. What are, you know, is something going to go? Is there something else that's going to be added? I just get really cynical because I realize that there's never going to, it's never going to end. Yeah. There's always going to be a replacement. There's always going to be something new. And, it's for me it's not an imperative function 
in my line of work, in my personal life, to be trying to keep up because unless I have a kid and I actually, full disclosure, am going to be a father oh, in May. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so thank you. But that's like, uh, you know, a long ways away until that kid actually has something to say when it comes to uh, what kind of social media that they want to um immerse themselves in and at that point i'll be like oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. but until then for my my own personal use like i'm already at a point where i am wondering what the point of even having a, a dead facebook account like a facebook account that just is sort of dusty and i'm not using it i'm just keeping it up because i'm afraid of deleting everything but you know i i can see those those dangers that are out there not only for me but you know, I worry about it with my kids and I worry about it with our country sometimes. I, I wish I could quit Facebook. Like, I'll just say that. I think I have too much sort of capital in Facebook just in terms of like promoting the radio show that I do. And then also like, I, I like to find guests for the radio show. It's an amazing way. And I'm like, if I stopped doing Facebook, I would lose a lot of that ability, which again is a good and bad thing, right? So yeah. there I am. It's essential to my life, to how I want to operate. I don't love it. I don't love their politics. I don't love the way it has become essential but it's it's there. So I've you know I've been obsessing about all this stuff. It's it seems to me I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me like you have ambivalence towards social media and some of this stuff, but you deal with it by kind of like sidestepping it or avoiding it, and in, in some ways, like you don't care one way or the other. Like it it doesn't consume you. I care, but I also. Um, I try to make it seem like I don't. So where uh, I am not showing a presence per se, my thing has been I don't put my personal information in such a compromising way. I don't understand why people don't do this. People bemoan the uh, tactics and the pr- and the process of uh, you know big tech when really there is a way to be on big tech and have ownership of your own stuff. And if you don't want to stay on big tech, you can just delete and that's fine. For me, I'm just stubborn. And yes, I do try to sidestep when I probably would be much better off just <laughs> just nuking all of it. Because <laughs> I, I don't think anything, anything that I'm saying is worth uh, a, a nickel and a dime um, you know, of anyone's in, of time. Like, I just, it doesn't matter. Like, I, and I think a lot of what people say doesn't matter either, but they're just screaming into a void. And um, I can't do that anymore. It feels weird to do that.
Are there things that worry you about your own internet usage or just the way that the world is shifting online? Yeah. Yeah, for me, there's a big paradox because, you know, my, my very job, my livelihood is entirely internet-based. You know, I work for a foundation that has humanitarian activities all over the world and all day, every day, I'm online in communication with people all over the world to help that stuff happen and then communicate it in engaging ways. And part of me absolutely loves that. It's so cool to be, you know, at home in my little town in Asheville and, and be able to feel connected to people all over the world and help bring people together for for this good cause. And it's, it's, it's drastically increased my quality of life having that opportunity in terms of being able to do this job anywhere I want to live and travel and, and, and make friends and valuable connections with people I, I never otherwise would have met. But on the other hand, I, I'm not, I don't have a particularly addictive personality and I truly feel that in recent years and it's gotten worse in the pandemic is I have an addiction to, <laughs> I don't know if, you know, for me it's, yes, it is social media, but it's even beyond that. It's really just the internet and that can be destructive, you know, where if I feel like if I'm not checking something online every 10 minutes or so, I, I feel you know, like something's wrong. Like there's an addiction there and sometimes that can undercut my actual in-person relationships or moments. And, you know, and then there's all kinds of other problems I see that I have anxiety about in terms of how um, the online world is, 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 you know, making totally ridiculous conspiracy theories and destructive ideologies seem legitimate to millions of people mm -hmm. and how it's oftentimes um, putting us in our own little bubbles the way these these online algorithms work so it just reinforces um, our beliefs no matter what they are no matter how destructive they are and that's obviously resulting in a, a lot of terrible real world consequences, you know, politically and socially. Generally, uh, zooming way back out, how has the internet changed us? Oh, that's a pretty big question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I tend to be a hopeful optimist in general. I think this is the birthing pains of a more a, a different type of collectivism. We're certainly not over the rough patch in any way, shape, or form. I think that for the most part, people have seen that there's a lot of ways to manipulate people and make money off of that. 
And I think that as long as you can make money off of it, people are probably going to do it. Um, but the question isn't whether that will remain or not. The question is, will that be the main way that this tool is being used? And are the potential positive ways that this tool can be used uh, going to outweigh the people who choose to do that? I think that the ability to connect has also pushed a lot of really beautiful things this year. You know, I think that the, um, the racial reckoning that this country has had, um, which is now sprouting into a lot of different things too, you know, not just like um, about police brutality against the black community, which is primarily what it started out as, but then that's cracking open for people to understand what white privilege is. And that's cracking open to people to understand what all different kinds of privilege is and the ways in which the government has been um, relatively criminal and keeping it that way for a very long time. Um, this information is spreading at a rapid pace and it's also, it's a lot easier now to actually talk to your representatives, I think, you know? It, whereas it used to be a matter of you have to sit down. I mean, I remember once a long time ago going to like an Amnesty International thing where we all sat and wrote letters to representatives and everything. and. That was a pretty far out thing at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of people my age at that time doing that. Um, now you have, you know, apps out there like ResistBot or like Five Calls where, you know, you're just sitting there in the bathroom. You could reach out to all the representatives in a minute, you know, and you could do that five times a day. And I mean, I got into doing that over the course of the last couple of years and you know, I probably didn't do it as much as I should, just like, you know, probably didn't donate as much as I should. But I mean, you know, everybody has to make their own balance with those things. But the thing is, I did donate and I did reach out to my representatives. And one thing I noticed is that a lot of times the things I was donating to or the, rep, you know, the exact topics I was reaching out to my representatives about, I, I watched those pop up in the news. I watched things actually change because of them, you know, and I'm not saying like I did that, but I'm saying the ability for somebody who is, you know, busy and not necessarily like as driven politically to be part of the system as as some people are, all of a sudden, you know, my efforts are part of this thing. And all of a sudden, a lot of people who would probably generally consider themselves a little bit more apathetic, it's really easy for them to get involved, almost like a little video game. That could be a relatively positive thing. I mean, I think this is one of the hardest years that most of us have ever been through. And we don't know how it's going to end up politically. But if you were to say, you know, if you were to say three, three years ago, say that the next person who got elected at their inauguration was going to talk about equity and uh, systemic racism in the inauguration speech, that would have been mind blowing. I don't think people would have believed that. I mean, I don't even think Obama could have gotten away with that, mainly because he's black. You know what I'm saying? So people would have, you know, go nuts about it. But I don't think uh, I don't think a white president could, could have gotten away with that uh, four years ago. I don't think without the events that happened over this four years and especially this last year and the way in which those events were just undeniable. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, the police brutality thing, that has everything to do with the internet in terms of like white people actually understanding that this exists and has existed, you know, as long as it has. That that didn't happen until there were phones on cameras and a way to distribute what happened on those phones uh, to an audience all over the country. So that's really positive. You know, uh, the way it changes, I mean, ultimately, 
we're way more connected and we're way uh, more easy to manipulate. Um, both of those things are true. I don't know which is going to be the biggest influence. about that episode one of how the internet has changed us would you guys think if you're listening to this amazing radio show on your computer consider downloading the app for the android or your uh, iphone that's not going to costs you one pretty penny and then the savings that you <laughs> accrue you can use uh, to donate to Radio Free Brooklyn if that's something that floats your boat but maybe instead of boating you're more of a runner well do I have a good suggestion of what you could do you could go to City Running Tours dot com slash New York City and sign up to run around the city and learn the city's history because they uh, they sponsor this this program and this radio station so check them out be a great Father's Day gift right Father's Day coming up no is it I never know when Father's Day is I think it is early spring check into that get my research team on that one but yeah how the internet has changed us I wanted to do that show for a while as I've said I'm kind of getting ready to go back into the studio do the show live and I wanted to I wanted to really flex my my muscles on the pre-records these final pre-records and I've been thinking a lot about how life has changed once we went online, especially during the pandemic and the quarantine. Get so nostalgic. I'm writing this book about like the late 90s, early 2000s, thinking about how life was different then because of the way we in- interacted with each other and with our environment so I reached out to some buddies so who did we hear on that I thought about you know narrating it and giving you background being like oh so this is Walter so it's one person I wanted to talk to about this is Walter right but I'll tell you that now I thought it was more fun to have it be kind of a wash that's more like the internet right if I had the narrative voice through the whole thing, then um, and and guided you, that's not that's not what our online reality is. 
it's just a it's just a smorgasbord. Never know if I'm saying that word right. But yeah, you did hear from Walter. Walter's the guy who talked about phone booths and the internet gives and the internet takes away. Funny guy, had some of the best lines. I worked with Walter at Barbancino. And Walter worked during the day doing prep on the dough and the meatballs. And he can talk. And I was fascinated to have him talk about this topic. And especially how all that related to New York City, which leads me to Dr. Lisa and her show, Dr. Lisa Gives a Fish, which is great and you should check out. And I was a guest on that show. She is a self-proclaimed psychotherapist and a hilarious person and was glad to have her perspective. And then we ran the gamut. We went from old-time New Yorkers to my my young nephew, Wyatt, repping Virginia Beach. Thanks, Wyatt. And we'll hear from all these people more on, on episode two. We heard from my old co-worker, Sonia. We taught in the Bronx together. And Sonia has a lot more to say. Next step. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Scott Bunn, co-host of Steve Sachs Syndrome, Indie Sports Radio, on my old station, sister station. How do I get the sister station status with Asheville FM and Radio Free Brooklyn? I got to look into that. Scott Bunn, love his voice. Love what he says, but love that dude's voice. Had to have him on the show. 23 Skidoo, Kid Hop rapper and member of GFE. Had some really deep things to say. We'll hear more from him next ep. Thank you. Skidoo, otherwise known as Cactus. I don't know his Christian name. We heard from my college buddy and web developer friend Stephen Slack his answer to how the internet changed us right there I had to start the whole thing his reaction to that question that was great and one of my all time buddies Jake Frankel thought leader and all around great guy and nonprofit exec and we heard from Alan, his co-hosts Lost and Rewound here on Radio Free Brooklyn, an excellent show, which I've also had the pleasure to guest on. Am I missing anybody? I think that's it as far as the interviews, but then we got music, original music, from Seth Kaufman, friend of the show from Floating Action, knocked it out of the park with our little intro theme check out floating action on on all the things and one of my oldest friends now he's not old well he's just as old as me but my long longest friends a friend with whom i have been friends with the longest 
Tim Bowers, repping Colorado, did some of the great spooky music. For this, we'll hear more of what he did next week. Thank you, Tim. And Sean Don, Sean Patrick Donnelly, SPD, 775Sean, contributed some great Philip Glass NPR This American Lifestyle music. And I appreciate you, Sean. To play us out, let's hear from Chick who recently passed on. And one of my favorite Chick records is I don't I don't think it's one of like the most renowned, but I think it's really cool and weird. It's called My Spanish Heart. It's a mixture of jazz and kind of flamenco stuff and weird synth explorations. But let's hear Day Dance off My Spanish Heart. And I'll hit you guys on the flip side with episode two of how the internet has changed us. I'm John Reed. This is Race to the Bottom. Peace. Thank you.